Morning, everybody. <clears throat> there are several scriptures that I want to read. I don't want it to be too long. Um, but in First and Second Timothy, there are several passages that I want to read, and I think you'll recognize a, there's a theme to all of them. <clears throat> These are both written by Paul to Timothy, who is his son in the faith, and he is being exhorted, especially in 2 Timothy, as Paul is no longer going to be a part of his life and will be executed. And Timothy, he is I feel like he's trying to get everything he can into Timothy's heart and head before Paul goes off of the scene. And we know that when people are aware that their life is coming to a close, and we'll sometimes use the phrase, you know, deathbed, either statements or whatever it might be, we generally tend to think those are extra important. Uh, when people have little life left and know it, you wouldn't think that they would be involved in trivial matters. They wouldn't be talking about stuff that doesn't matter. So especially here, these exhortations and warnings to Timothy are important not only because they're Scripture, but it's also Paul's last exhortations to Timothy. <clears throat> In 1 Timothy chapter 1, <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, he is going back to visit Corinth, and that's the church there, leaving Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus. They were in Ephesus, and he headed back to uh, Macedonia, which is <clears throat> will lead him to Corinth. Remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction or preaching or teaching is the word there is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith for some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, 
for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Then still in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter, later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. It's been sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. We'll end there. Chapter 6 of First Timothy, beginning at verse 3. <clears throat> if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. We brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we had food and covering with these, we will be content. But those who want to get rich... The word's real strong here. Those who strive have nothing else in their horizon but getting rich. Fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> I'm about done. Beginning with verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. 
For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable or unforgiving, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. Now this, this then is not, these aren't drug dealers. These are people who profess something. They have a form of godliness. But having that form <clears throat> of godliness, they deny its power. Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannas and Jambres, these are known to Hebrews names of some of the magicians in Egypt who contended uh, and tried to match Moses in the plagues and so forth. So these men, the people who teach false doctrines, also oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres folly was also. Now you followed, or but, you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however... Continue in the things you've learned and, became convinc and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work." I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an, of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now six and on, we don't need to read all of it, but he's saying I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. I, I'm at the end of my life, I know that I'm going to shortly be beheaded by Nero and keep these things. Now, all these scriptures, 
a theme that I think we can see here is perilous times, difficulties, tendencies to drift away from the truth, persecution, suffering, but there are at least four places here, five possibly, where, and we'll, we'll just look at two of them, where after laying out all that is coming, then Paul says to Timothy, but you, but you, you don't have to fall for that. You don't have to be washed away by it. You don't have to be swept out to sea by that current. You don't have to be polluted by it. You and I don't have to end up defeated by it. These, these are sobering prophecies, and it's, if it's in the Scripture, it will happen. And I don't think I need to spend any time today convincing you that we are in difficult times, men are lovers of themselves, revilers, which is reputation reds, cancel, cancel culture, hateful, haters of good, call evil good and good evil, won't listen to truth, turn away their ears from the truth, gather to themselves teachers who tell them what they want to hear, and once again, those are not bar flies. Those are people who look for a church. Those are people who would profess some level of religion. The people that are totally secular, despise God and His church and Christians, they're looking for churches. They don't, they don't look for church. These people are looking for preachers and teachers, but... They're looking for ones that will tell them what they want to hear. So again, the, the, the frightening thing is that we are, this is not only, 1 Timothy describes an awful bad list of people, but the other at least three sections where he talks about dark days and, and movements that are away from God are primarily within a realm of religiousness and not just hellions or what we would think they are. So, all of this, I think, points out several things. The warnings that Paul gives to Timothy. Um, I don't know, surely there's more than the four I want to look at, but... There are four things that I think Paul speaks to us, even though this is to a young preacher, it, it speaks to all of us. One, we are to be conscious. Now, by conscious, I mean the opposite of being in a coma. Um, being comatose. 
where we just sit there with our mouth open, breathing through our mouth, and drooling out of both corners of our mouth, and paying no attention to the times. Jesus told the Pharisees and those who were after him all the time, he said, you fools and hypocrites, you say if the sky is red in the morning, it will be hot today. If the wind blows softly from a different direction, you say, we'll have rain today. He said, you fools, you can discern the signs of the weather, but you can't see the signs of the times. The spiritual winds, the atmosphere that is coming our way, the storms that are on the horizon. Everything Paul said to Timothy was be alert, be awake, pay attention. Don't be out of it. Be conscious. And a second thing that's involved with being conscious here is not only don't be in a coma, but don't get distracted from our purpose, our goal, what matters. In the middle of Paul talking about how wicked things will become and deceivers, he said, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In the middle of that, and this is a stark contrast. He says, but the end of our preaching, the end of our teaching, our goal that we can't ever lose sight of is what? Love out of a pure heart. Love that flows, we can say this. Love that flows springs from a pure heart that is governed by a good conscience and is sustained by sincere faith. He, many times that passage, which is 1 Timothy 1.5, is misinterpreted that the goal is three things. One, love out of a pure heart, that you would have a good conscience, that you would have sincere faith. That's not how it should be read. The goal is the love of God in my heart, which springs from a pure heart. And then it is governed by a well-informed and correctly functioning conscience. And it is sustained by a pure, a sincere, without wax is what it means, nothing foreign, sincere faith. So, in the end then, we have to stick to that. I am, I may be worse than some are as far as being um, just to be honest, buffeted all 
the time with the apparent, and I want to use that word carefully, the apparent futility of everything I do. I think most Christians, most preachers are constantly bombarded. You're doing no good. You can't see much in the way of results. Nobody changes. Everybody comes through three or four Sundays and they hear something they don't like or they hear a song they don't like or the water in the drinking fountain's a little bit lukewarm, so I'm not going back to that church. All three persons of the Trinity don't know how sick I get of that. But that's the day Paul's describing. We're, we're that deep, and that's complimentary. I'm probably doubling it. As a culture, the, the smallest, most trivial things, and the temptation is, I'm missing the boat. I'm preaching and teaching and insisting and exhorting on things that are beside the point. I'm missing it. I'm missing the target. Why in the world? Why can't I just go to the souls in Cabo San Lucas that are so on my heart? Uh, they need someone to minister to them <laughs> there as they bring, you know, a towel and food uh, to the lounge, chaise lounge that I'm resting on. Um, you think, why in the world keep battering against this day in which we live? I know... I know I'm not the only one at all. I don't know how many of you here get hit, most of us, with the same thing. You've worked on a crew for who knows how many years. And there's been some changes here and there, but there's guys you've known for 20 years. You've prayed for them, talked to them, had conversations with them, and for from our point of view, and humanly speaking, it hasn't had any effect at all. And you think, what are we doing? This day that Paul described, I'm certain, I am certain that Paul was beat up in the same way we are today. There's a reason why I'm not looking at this this morning, but more frequently than the warnings about the decay of the day that Paul gives are his exhortations to Timothy to endure suffering, endure suffering, endure suffering. Now, Paul, of course, wrote this from prison. So there was a physical side to the suffering he was dealing with. But by far, more than the physical suffering, were the spiritual battles and the spiritual um, 
tsunami that was always coming at him and that comes at us. And I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think that the taunt from the enemy and from the culture around us that, that we are having no visible, measurable effect at all is probably one of the most serious kinds of trial. There is a, if I mention this minister's name, he's also a motivational speaker and goes to the Fortune 500 companies and all this, writes all kinds of books that are, you know, really good for starting fires. Um, if I gave you a name, you'd know him. Um, and I was involved with him coming to be a speaker to a big conference of pastors. And I didn't really, I had to invite him because I, I didn't have the choice. Um, I, I was told to get a hold of him, have him come. And a servant, as a servant of the Lord, I mean really humble servant of the Lord who gave and never expected a thing, just minister to you, he agreed to come for $10,000. This was in the 80s. Love the Lord. But he stood up and told us, I'll never forget it. I remember the scene. I, I could tell you what he had on. He stood up and yelled at us for half an hour. And his theme was, at Judgment Day, as ministers, and this goes to Christians too, really, but he's talking to ministers. We will be, re, he, we will be judged at Judgment Day based on our results. That was his whole theme that day. Whatever your results are, that's what you'll be judged on. Okay? Well, A, I didn't like him to start with. Had a long history, even it goes into too much. But anyway, didn't, I didn't care for the guy. Number two, I didn't care for the guy. Three, I didn't care for him. Four, I sat there and I thought, well, you just sent Jeremiah to hell. Jeremiah preached, as best we can figure, a minimum of 46 to possibly 50 years. 50 years he preached. He had one convert. His annual report to, you know, the, the denomination, I don't know when, Barak, who was his stenographer he took notes on what jeremiah said that's where we get the book of jeremiah i don't know what year barak believed in yahweh the god of israel that would have been the only year in 50 years of turning in annual reports that jeremiah could say we had a convert and that's the only one he ever had 
Jeremiah will be so far ahead of all of us who've preached the gospel and who've done our best to walk with God, we won't even see the back of his head in the line facing God. But listen, that's a daily, almost, daily bombardment we have in at least the American church today. It, it is, you've, you've got to get off of the boring thing of people have to have a clear-cut, born-again experience or they're lost forever. I don't care what they do. Good, they're lost. Second, everyone who becomes a Christian Everyone who's born again, and I know many people don't preach that, but this, I don't care. As believers, if we walk with God, we will inevitably come to a Y in the road where there is a cross, and Jesus said, you take up your cross and you die to yourself and your agenda and your ambitions and your way and your wishes, and you follow me even unto death. That is entire sanctification. It's the baptism and the filling with the Holy Spirit that purifies our heart from the inherited, I'm born with, bent to sinning. Love out of a pure heart. We know Paul, wherever he went, And we have a clear picture in Acts 19. He found found a mega church in Ephesus. And he gathered, you know, he gathered these people on one of their campuses. And he said to 12 guys, okay, he had 12. Found 12 believers. And he said, What's your mission statement? What's your purpose statement? What's your budget? What's your five-year plan? Where do you see yourself from 10 years from now? First thing out of his mouth, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit in his fullness after you believed? Have you received the Holy Spirit in his fullness in heart-purifying grace since you believed? Have you had a second work of grace? First thing out of his mouth. He could therefore write to Timothy and said, don't lose track. Don't get distracted from love out of a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Don't get off of that. So being conscious of the day we're in and the need, the need the same, the cure is the same. It always works. So Paul said, don't get off of it. Be conscious. Second, be courageous. In other words, it's assumed here that we're going to be in the minority, that we will be looked down upon, will be thought as mouth breathers and knuckle draggers. Um, they'll, they'll They'll revile us. They will laugh at us. They will 
roll their eyes. They will ignore us because we're hopeless. Um, in every way, we're hopeless. We are throwbacks to a bygone age. And here we are in a, quote, enlightened age, and we're still spewing tired, stale stuff from the Bible. We're, we're not going to be looked up to. Paul said, think about this, and, and you know, I, I am not telling you today what you need to do. I can't tell you how much, m most of the time, I am the subject of a sermon every bit as much as you are. I have read, who knows how many times, I've read, Paul said, we are the off-scouring of the world. We're the off-scouring of the world. I've read that. I don't know how many times. Do I really believe it? Understand me, probably not. I probably don't believe it like I should because I, why am I stunned then when people will turn their noses up and get mad for something that you know, I preached, or you hear somebody's mad because Dan said something, or and I, I'm 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 shocked. I'm surprised. I'm kind of irritated, and at times I'm discouraged by it. But Paul already told us. He said, "You're going to be off scouring." Do I believe it? If I really believed it, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be discouraged. I wouldn't be, well, what did I, you know, what did I say wrong there? Well, could I have done, you know. When I first got saved, I called all my friends, told them I got saved, told them I wouldn't be drinking, you know, that weekend at the kegger and every last one of them none of them dumped me immediately but eventually they did and a couple of them told me I, I don't I'm sick of you jamming this religion down my throat well my first response was my first response was lord what did i do wrong what should i have said differently how should i have approached them differently was there a way i could have been softer and more sugary and kinder and whatever um that wasn't God talking to me. That was the enemy. Because then it finally dawned on me, no one, no one was kinder, better than Jesus. And they killed him through gritted teeth. They screamed, crucify him. So I got criticized a little bit. I didn't get what Jesus got. And he was far wiser, better, knew how to 
couched things in terms that maybe wouldn't make people mad, except he did. We have to believe what God, this is God. We say Paul said this and, and James said, no, it's God. They were just the mouths through which he spoke. God said, you're going to be the off-scouring. So it'll take courage for us to stick to the truth. We, again, we don't have to be obnoxious and just be insufferable jerks saying the truth. But we are, I think I've, well, I don't know if I've learned it yet or not. I don't care how nice and understanding we can be, they'll still get mad. They did to Jesus. So we're going to have to have courage to stand when everyone else is opposed to us. And the opposition today is a different kind of opposition, I think. We're in a day where, um, you know, there's, there's no judgment, uh, no moral judgment of any kind anymore allowed. Um, even, well, it's like <laughs> heard someone say the other day, Jeffrey Dahmer was not a bad person. He just had some dietary issues. He had some eating issues, okay? Listen, that's not too far off. Because today, no one is essentially evil in here. Nobody is. We're just misguided. We're impoverished. We're not as educated. We didn't have the best chance. We've, we've not had a chance in society and this and that. And so, therefore, that's why I make some bad choices. But I'm not a bad person. God never got that letter. <laughs> Yeah, he says, yeah, you are. You're evil. We have to have courage. We'll have to have courage to stick to Bible truth. Now, third thing. We have to be convincing. Now, when I, when I say we have to be convincing, we'll likely convince very few. But we have to be, maybe better words, authentic. We have to live and behave what we claim we have in our hearts and what God, what we claim God can do for us and how he can turn our lives around. And we can, in the end, you know what? The best thing we have, and Paul always resorted to it. Paul was immeasurably intellectual. Paul... Paul would have had, um, in today's world, Paul would have been a top scholar. But when he was faced with a king and a whole uh, palace room full of authorities and philosophers and thinkers and so forth, he said, I used to persecute Christians. And one day I was on my way on that errand on the way to Damascus. And a bright light shone, knocked me to the ground. And I heard a voice identify himself as Jesus. And he said, you're persecuting me. And he said, God turned me around. And I have not 
deviated from that day, preaching that there's salvation in Jesus alone, nobody else. But He can save us, He can purify our hearts, and He can give us power to walk upstream in this world. With all of His head knowledge, with all of His, He could have, you know, gone to religious or philosophical, uh, philosophical arguments all day long, held everybody at bay. He just said, here's what Jesus did for my heart. That's what convincing, that's what I mean by that. Authentic. God changed me. I was going through the, um, the second, second or third um, you know, solid week of a CIA checkup um, just to go up here a couple months ago and get blood drawn at the hospital. You know, you go through, Congress has got a boat, and you, you know, and they vet you, and they, you know, put you, uh, inject you with truth serum and everything else just to go back and get your blood drawn. Well, the woman, the nurse that was checking me in, wanted to know where I, where I worked. And, you know, I told her, and she obviously knew nothing about church, nothing about God, but she started talking to me about she was working, she volunteered for a suicide line, uh, phone, you know, uh, here in Gillette. And talked, started talking to me about all the young people and just suicides and what was wrong with people. Well, uh, God just opened a wonderful door to very shortly, briefly tell her um, the mess I was in in my heart and life and I knelt by the side of my bed and asked Jesus to come into my heart and he forgave me and changed me and you know what she did? Nothing that I could see. She didn't drop to her knees and say please pray with me so I can get right with God today. I've never seen her since. I don't know what but I know God brought about the situation and I know there's a seed plant there. He's, he's the one that's got to worry about it. Don't know if I'll ever see her again. But to have something authentic to say to those whom God brings across our path. We have to be aware of what we're dealing with. We have to be courageous. We have to be convincing by our lives. And finally, we have to be competent. And I'm talking there about a certain amount of Bible knowledge that allows us to say, you know, and I was talking to someone just last week um, about a person at work that they were talking to who was off into a false um, doctrine and how this person knew enough, proud of him in our congregation, to be able to come back at the false teachings with Scripture, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. We spend way too much time reading other people. You know that? A lot of times we can, and I'm not picking on people we may read. One of the greatest preachers and writers, Samuel Logan Bringle was his name, Salvation Army preacher from the 1870s to 1935, I think, is when he passed away. I've got that many books on my shelf. I think I have every book he wrote. Fantastic preacher and writer, preached all over the world. 
he just wrote one of his books. He said, if, you're, if you happen to be spending more time reading this book than you are the Bible, put this book down. So I'd, I'm not on to people who are good Christian writers. I need to read the Bible. <laughs> There's nothing like God's Word. That makes me competent to face the false doctrines. That's all Paul talked about in these two letters. He said there are going to be people departing from the truth. We need to know the Bible. So the good news is, even though th these, if you, depending on how you read these two letters from Paul, written at the end of his life, they can be very dark because there's nothing. <laughs> there's really nothing but doom and gloom and it's going to get worse. You think this is bad, you just wait. It's kind of got that sense about it, except punctuated all through it. But you do different. You walk godly. You follow the Scripture. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Balancing that then there's victory. We, God's with us. And in the end, there is no excuse for us to faint, to quit, to give up, to uh, wash our hands of the world, really, and, you know, put a survival thing in the backyard and just go down and never come up. It's inviting at times, but um, we can't do that. But you and me, we can be different by the grace of God. Let's bow our heads. I want to encourage you, by the way, just read these two letters. Read them carefully, slowly. They picture our day and what our response is. Dan, come and dismiss us if you would. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this morning as we hear your word and your message um, given to us by our pastor, we're grateful for your truth that thousands of years was penned but is so relevant in today's society and today's culture. Um, it strikes me unusual sometimes how real it is yet today. But I pray that we are a congregation that understands that we need to know the word. We need to spend time not just reading the Bible, but studying the Bible to find out more about the one who gave his life for us, the one we know. We need to know more about you in today's society, Lord. Give us a hunger and a desire that's unusual this week to just dig in deeper into what we already know. Some of us have already read through the Bible several times, but there's always something new because our walk is always changed and our culture is always changing. So help us to do that. Help us to cling to your word cling to the cross, and keep an eye out for those that have no hope, that don't know you, and be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us because we've sanctified you in our hearts. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be a congregation. As our coworkers, our family members, people at convenience stores and grocery stores watch us, they see individuals that are absolutely clinging to the cross in all that we do. 
because we know apart from you we can do nothing. And may we be that congregation that Paul encouraged Timothy, Timothy so long ago to be, as for you, as for me, as for each one of us, may we hang on to truth. Not the truth that the world makes up, but truth, the absolute truth of your word. That's the foundation on which we stand. That's the foundation on which we walk. That's the foundation on which we build our lives. And that's the foundation on how we love one another in truth and in grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You're dismissed, everyone. Have a great day.